Welcome to The Confessional. I'm Mike Moran. Tell us your deepest, your creepiest, your funniest. Confess to us. No one's listening. All right, everybody, welcome to The Confessional. We have a very special episode this week. Uh, we will be discussing Har Media Carly. Har Media Carly. That is right. Say hi to our guest co-host of the week, Carly Pursley. Did I pronounce that right? No. I'm it's sorry. It's Carly Pursley. <laughs> like a cat. <laughs> Pursley, eh? Yeah. A very funny improviser. She and I used to do improv together. Hopefully we can do it again at some point. I'd love to. What have you been up to lately, Carly? Well, lately I'm still working with the Baltimore Improv Group, doing very small uh, productions here and there. Excellent. And coming up soon, I'll be working with the Baltimore Rock Opera Society Ooh. in their new show. It's going up in May. It's called Glitterous. Glitterous. Dragon Rock. Rising. Now, where can people find the Glitterous? They can find the Glitterous if they search well and hard for it. I meant like Facebook. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they can find it on Facebook with the Baltimore Rock Opera Society. You can Excellent. usually type in bros, all right, right, letters. Right, right, right. And they can find any more information that they have, including fun parties. Fantastic. Uh, and that, that'll be in May, right, the performance? Yes. Awesome. Carly. Mm -hmm. You're not going to believe who we have as a guest today. Who? You and I grew up on this guy. He is considered an improv god. It's true. And he has a show coming up in Baltimore at the Modell Lyric, April 3rd, 8 p.m. You can get tickets at Ticketmaster.com. He's coming here with Colin Mockery. Will you please welcome to the confessional, Brad Sherwood. Oh, hi. Hey, Brad. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for stopping by the confessional, buddy. How have you been? I am fine. It's nice to be doing something other than whose line is it anyway. <laughs> yeah, with this podcast, we try to give people a, a topic or something they can do besides the same old thing, you know? Mm -hmm. We could have had Brad on and have him talk about improv and scenes from a hat mm -hmm. and uh, the, some other games. What are some other ones? Oh, other games would be the dating game. Dating He's game. particularly good at that one, in my opinion. Yeah. He's very good as the host in that one. I think that's an underrated skill in particular. Right, right, right. Well, mm -hmm. Brad's hosted several game shows, correct? Yes. Yes, that's true. Yeah, he's done uh, the dating game. He did the big moment. Um, he's been on various other game shows like Hollywood Squares. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Ever do Double Dare? That's my favorite. Uh, I did not. I but I I, I have a, uh, a green slime intolerance. It's kind of like gluten, but it's just a little more acute. I understand. That's a shame. Huh. Well, believe it or not, I, I think it actually came out that Mark Summers, the host of Double Dare, had horrible OCD and was in nightmarish agony every time he had to get dirty on that show. Mm. Yeah, it's true. That's, mm. That's also a shame. Uh-huh. Mm. But today, Carly, yes, we are discussing with Brad horror media. Horror media. Yes. Are you? Uh, did you? Are you into horror at all? At all, Carly? Uh, now, for myself, I tend to get scared very easily. I right. am a. I am a small human woman. And I tend to be frightened by a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And 
genuinely the tension in scary movies gets me more than anything. Right. Okay. The the terror that something is coming. Well, well but do I you like that? Like, see, I kind of wish I could still be scared from horror media more than I am. You know oh, what so I mean? Oh, so you're at the opposite end of the spectrum. It scared me when I was a kid. Now I'm mostly jaded. Aw. So I kind of I'm kind of jealous of you. Well, I I'm scared all the time. Now, Brad, are you a big horror fan? I am, yeah. I sort of grew up and went to the movies a lot, and one of my favorite things to see was always the scary movies, the horror movies and the early sort of 80s slasher films and such. Oh, you know who we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago? Uh, do you remember no. Shelley from Friday the 13th Part 3 who gave Jason his first hockey mask? Oh. Yeah, he's, actually, nice. he's an entertainment lawyer in L.A. now, believe it or not. Uh, but yeah, he was great. Um, all right. Well, why don't we jump right into a confession? We're going to be discussing all different types of horror media this week. This one is from Brian Morris, Columbus, Ohio, uh, Columbus Georgia. I almost said Ohio. Yeah. Columbus, I should have said Georgia. Columbus. Oh, hi, Georgia. That would have covered it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody would have known. Uh, editing. Editing. <laughs> After years and years of getting into horror films, it took me a while to let horror movies get to me again. And before that, I only read about two horror novels, but I find horror video games are really what get me. It's one thing watching a film with no control, only to swap to a video game where you're the one walking down the scary dark hallway, not knowing what's at the end, but knowing you're the one making the move. Hmm. Horror video games. I, I've never really delved into that world. Not much of a gamer. But that's that's kind of surprising that video games could be scary for someone. Well, what about when you, When I was a kid, the horror video games were uh, Space Invaders. Uh, it, it, you don't know how horrifying it is until a line of small digital Atari-shaped aliens work their way down to you. It's Relentlessly. It's yeah, they never stop. It's just wave after stop. wave. It's way more terrifying than any interactive uh, thing that you can, you know, wearing the goggles. Sure. You know, a zombie thing is just nothing compared to those little beasts. It's, it's mortifying. Absolutely. Superior technology, too. Jimmy pointed out the ghosts in Pac-Man were the original. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We never got the backstory for those ghosts, did they? Did we? Personally, yeah, no. I, I guess that maze was really a haunted house. It really was. Why were they ghosts? What was the point of that? What is? I, you know, I don't know what the whole thing behind that. All I know is if you'd go too far left, you'd come out the right side again. It was very haunting. Yeah, yeah. It's like a surreal, it's like a Twilight Zone yeah. kind of world. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, there are other uh, video games that have... They're go they've gone out of their way to be frightening. Okay. Like, uh, there's a game I've heard of called Dark Souls. Okay. I think that's what it's called. I hope that's what it's called. And uh, you are in this terrifying world, and you, of course, encounter monsters here, sure. there, and everywhere. And there's, of course, the the tried and true Silent Hill was a video game before it became Very a popular. movie. Very popular, yeah. I've heard about that one. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I hear that's actually based on uh, Centralia, Pennsylvania, which is not too far from us. Uh, that is an abandoned town that has a massive inferno burning under it since the 60s, and no one's allowed to go there. Oh, is it one of those, like, a coal town that might have had a coal? Yes, It yes. had coal underneath it, and then some... Yeah, and it's terrifying. Nozzle, There's, like, like pictures a of it online. Yeah, kids... Threw it down a hole. <laughs> right, yeah. Lit uh, a town on fire <laughs> for 65 years. How bad years. would you feel if you were that guy? He's like, oh, hey, guys, you're like, oh, this lantern. Uh, you ever heard of that town, Brad? 
I have not. I've never heard of the underground fire that cannot be put out. It's very scary. It's pretty bad. Um, Brad, are you a gamer at all? Uh, not so much. I don't really have time, and I also have sort of an obsessive personality. Right. But if I got into games, I would probably no longer be employed in any form whatsoever. I mm. see. I see. I yeah, know where you're coming from on there. Yeah, that's kind of how I am, too. Addictive personalities in the house today. Sounds like you might be a completionist right. like me. You have to get all the awards, make sure you uncover all of the... Oh, that's how I am too. I have to get all the awards. You don't just finish the story. You gotta do everything perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm a loser. Yeah, I didn't even get into Donkey Kong because anything that was like you have to go on this journey and get a certain level just did not appeal to my sort of sexist, impulsive side. Huh. Well, it sounds like you were really around there. What's that? It was too much work. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, all right. This is from someone named, believe it or not, L.A. Bro. And I'm pretty sure that's a real name. It's B-R-A-U-X. B-R-E-A-U-X. La, La, La Bro. La, La Bra. La Brea. I asked how to pronounce it. from New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a cavern. It's a La Brea cavern. This is from Portland, Oregon. Uh, books, honestly. I can think of scary shit instead of watching someone else's reimagining of scary shit. When I'm reading it, the Stephen King, mm-hmm. uh, it's just so much darker in my head than the movie could make out, mostly because it doesn't have movie atmospherics. It isn't confined by a screen. Whether I think based on what I'm reading from the page has much more realism than what can be contained in a widescreen shot. Also, I tend to read for hours on end when stuff is good. Uh, the movies usually aren't that long. Horror books. Are you, are you a big reader, Brad? Oh, yes. I, uh, when I first moved to L.A. a million years ago, uh, I worked as a night security guard. So I worked from midnight till 8 in the morning, and I just basically sit and do nothing. So I pretty much read uh, all the anti-vampire novels and all the Stephen King stuff. Oh, so, okay. Yes. So, What's your favorite Stephen uh, one King book? One of my favorites was Misery, and you know there was nothing supernatural about that. Right, it's right. Creepy, scary, being trapped by an evil genius, and that... Yeah. You know, I watched that movie again recently, and i that's got to be one of the top five Stephen King movies. I've, I've forgotten how great it is. Kathy Bates is amazing. Yeah, I think it's one of the best movies, but it, the movie itself, not that sound like funny, but it just did not hold a candle to the book. Really? And it was probably the best uh, revelation of a Stephen King movie. I mean, it won. I think it won Best Picture. It certainly won Best Actress. I think it did, yeah. Were you, do you Did you read it before the movie was out? Oh, yeah, way before. Okay. Way before. I was really excited to see it, and the movie was great, and uh, uh, their performances were phenomenal, and they did they did a great job with it, but just, it kind of, I, I don't think really anything can ever live up to once you, you've read something. Sure. Like, you've spent however many hours reading it, and like uh, that first person that wrote in, you have filled out the books in what you consider to be the most horrifying. Once, once you're in on the book, you uh-huh. are filling in all of the colors and blanks in right. the creepiest way possible. Mm-hmm. Now, I, as someone who's not, who doesn't particularly like being scared, mm-hmm. I have read Carrie. Okay. And uh, have you had a chance to read that one, Brad? I have not. Um, what's interesting about Carrie is what, to me, feels like a dissection of how a book should be written. 
Uh, it's oh, almost sorry. like he's. I have read Carrie. I thought you said Terry. Oh, I'm so, sorry. So yeah, I have read Carrie. <laughs> so Carrie, uh, it's it's written from small snippets of police reports, firsthand witnesses. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, Dracula told, style. It's not told in any way, shape, or form like a traditional story. You know, from one person's mm-hmm. perspective, mm-hmm. and telling what hap- what is happening in a linear fashion. Okay. It's as if. Uh, all of these sources for this one event have been taken. Somebody's gathered them all and then just shuffled them around. Interesting. So the, But somehow there's still a climax that leads up to it. And I, I think that's fascinating, and I can't think of any way that a movie could do that right, sort right. of disjointed um, storytelling mm-hmm, justice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, would you, what do you guys think of the Carrie movie versus the book? Right. You know, I, I really loved it. I mean, the, the, literally, I was sitting behind people, and at a certain point near the end of the movie, uh, an explosion of popcorn happened in front of me. <laughs> oh, wow. During a really terrible moment that was sort of unexpected. It was just awesome. What moment was that? Well, I don't want to ruin it for somebody who still hasn't seen it. It's Everybody, like, it's like 40 years old, Brad. The, <laughs> the grave, I have ruined it. There's no alert. <laughs> But she yeah, she goes to prom and has a good time and everything's fine. <laughs> What's that? I said, I said Sissy Spacek was so good in that I movie. Know, like, I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's an amazing actress. Fun fact, Carrie is, as far as I can tell by my research, the first usage of the phrase, get her done. Really? Yep. John Travolta, of all people. I did not know you were a Larry the Cable Guy historian, Carly. I, I know things. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> I've got a, an unusual series of skills. Wow. <laughs> and Get Her Done was used as the earliest as I can find hmm. in Carrie. What was the deal with that weird fast-forwarded scene in Carrie? You know what I'm talking about? No, explain it. There's like a random scene where they're talking, and all of a sudden it's like... <laughs> And it just fast forwards through a screen with no rhyme or reason. Is this just happening on your VHS copy of it? Perhaps. Maybe I should upgrade to DVDs, the special features. You know what I'm talking about, Brad? I, I don't remember that scene. Maybe, yeah, I was thinking Blockbuster. You just got a bad copy. Maybe I just dreamed this. And well, now I have to watch it again. Right. Um... All right. Well, one Stephen King movie that I can think of is better than the book is uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Do you agree with that? Yes. That that is a a great movie. Might even put Stand By Me and uh, The Shining up there with it. Yeah, The Shining, I feel like The Shining was a real slow roll of sort of the horror and creepiness. And you can only sort of that going because there aren't that many seminal moments in the movie where something truly, truly awfully terrifying happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the book. So when you're reading the, and it's one of his longer books. So uh, I think that the uh, movie did encapsulate that in right. a way that really distilled it down to still keeping that slow rolling creep, but uh, absolutely got to it. Um, do you have a personal favorite story of either Anne Rice or uh, Stephen King, Brad? Well, I, I, I did. I really did like uh, the first interview with the vampire. Um, Good you story. Know, just Never sort of it. got me into her books, and then I read a bunch more. And you know, some of them didn't sort of hold up, like Queen of the Damned, and 
Did anything scary ever happen on that job? Uh, just an earthquake. Uh, the first I hadn't lived in LA so for very long, uh-huh. and uh, so my first experience was an earthquake, which was about a six-ish oh top floor of the Arco Towers downtown. So Whoa. the building was swaying, and I'm all by myself at around uh, six in the morning, and I thought this building is going to crack, and I'm going oh to my watch. God. As Dropped your Anne Rice novel. You're so afraid. Were you on yeah. the lower floors or the upper floors? No, I was on the upper floor. Oh, that's got to be terrifying. I, to do, yeah. I was in charge of just sitting at the executive desk on the, the top floor where all the executives worked by day, uh-huh. you know, making sure nobody came up there. So uh-huh. I had a beautiful view of the entire city. Wow. And I was completely alone on the floor. Wow. You're from, yeah. uh, you're from Santa Fe originally, right? Yeah, originally from Chicago. I uh, moved away from there when I was 10. Uh, lived in Santa Fe through all of high school. And oh, went to excellent. school in Ohio and then moved out to L.A. Oh, and then okay. about five years ago I left there and I live in Vegas now. Oh, what made you decide to move to Vegas? Just got tired of living in the hustle and bustle and traffic of L.A. after 28 years. Right. Time, yeah. to, time to move on. So you went to the quaint, small, sleepy village of Las Vegas. Yeah, you got the you got the old cars at the uh, Dairy Queen. It's like a John Mellencamp song come to life. Yeah. Um. All right. This one is from Colin Ball, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Perhaps close to Centralia. I don't know because Pennsylvania is massive. Yeah, it's huge. I love being scared. I love sci-fi and fantasy, and if it's mixed with something that can scare me, I am all about it. Horror is the father form of fantasy for me. Hmm. You a fantasy yeah. guy, Brad? Uh, I, I do like I like fantasy. I like uh, you know big costume things with swords and mm. sorcery and magic and all that stuff. Um, and and sci-fi horror always a big fan of that. Um, I haven't found too many sort of fantasy films that still fall into the bucket of horror that really scared me. But yes, I love a good, you know, thing with dragons and, and all that jazz. Sure, sure. Um, what is your favorite sci-fi horror? I've been hearing about this event Horizon for decades now, and for some reason I still haven't heard it. I, I still haven't seen it. Have you seen that one, Brad? Uh, I have not seen Event Horizon. Supposedly it's and one of the did, scariest it movies. leave a mark. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's your favorite sci-fi horror? Well, it's a, it's a toss-up between Alien okay. and Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> also a good Quite choice. the range the there. the best sci-fi horror of all time. I mean, it's a monster movie. It's uh-huh. ripping. It's terrifying. Right. You know, you have things coming out of chests. It just, it, you couldn't design a better terrifying thing with tentacles and arms and, you know, retractable metal teeth and that, that is bored out of your chest after the, the egg lays something in your down your throat on your face like, it's, it's, right. like everything it's, it's good for people that are claustrophobic absolutely it's, you know something ripping to your sternum what else sure. do you want 
It's good for the people that like those kinds of movies where, where those horror movies where you're stuck in one place and you can't get out. Right, right. Like you're stuck in yes. a house yeah, or you're yeah. stuck yeah. in the yeah, room. Yeah, that seems to be important. That yeah. You can't get away. Yeah. And another one uh, that, you know, some of those special effects may not hold up in modern day, but another sci-fi horror one that I absolutely loved was The Thing. The oh, thing. my gosh. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, that's a classic. I believe it was John Carpenter. Yes. Yeah, it was. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they made that, I think that, kind of a, a sequel. Those, those or... three are my favorite that that are you know horror with the sci-fi sure. tilt. Sure. Uh, have you not seen Leprechaun in Space? Because <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you a fan at all of the schlocky horror? Or you like the serious stuff? Oh no, I like it all. I mean, because when I was a kid, I saw everything, so I saw a lot of the schlocky horror. So, I mean, I saw the, the classics, like, Halloween, you know, which was, you know, you know, Psycho Killer uh-huh. on the Rampage and, and uh, all the Nightmare on Elm Street and oh, all that. Um, uh, but then there were some that I loved that were kind of schlocky, like uh, It's Alive. Oh, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Play Motion. Is that the one where the, the famous quote is, I'm here to kick, like, kick ass and chew bubblegum and I'm all out of bubblegum? No, it's the, uh, the, the, the tagline, it was about a, a, a possessed, not possessed, but like an evil mutant uh, baby with fangs. And the, the tagline on the movie poster is, there's only one thing wrong with the with the Wilson's baby, that's the wrong last name, but dot, 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 it's alive. So oh. basically, <laughs> it like crawls across the floor, so the camera is kind of like right. at a floor level as it crawls towards people that somehow can't get away from it. And then it kills them by, you know, ripping out their throats. Yeah, it had that like bad early '80s clay motion going on. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was. It might have even been like late '70s, but it was hard. In fact, I think it was late '70s, <laughs> uh, maybe '78, '77. Uh-huh. Just oh, it, it, I mean, it's laughable, but it was also fun. Right. And another one, uh, Phantasm, the original Phantasm, oh, Phantasm. was mm, another. Nice. One that was just all over the place, but still had some great horrifying moments. And one of my favorite characters from any horror movie, an actor named Angus Scrim, who played the tall man. He was sort of this oh, big, yeah. creepy-looking mortician. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, really so scary. It sounds like a lot of the movies that you're a biggest fan of include a lot of practical effects. Yeah, practical effects back mm-hmm. before, really, yeah. there was a mastery of it. You know, Dick Smith and uh, Baker... We're, we're, you know, on the scene getting started in the George Romero movies, but, you know, it hadn't evolved to the amazing linear effects and makeup, and then, of course, with DGI and all those things. Mm-hmm. So they were, you know, all they had was, you know, putty and, and makeup. Right, and yeah. Squirting blood bags. Yeah, Tom and, Savini. And, and you, yeah, we got to get Tom Savini on the podcast. He'd be a great guest. Um, so have you ever done anything horror-related? No, no, I have not uh, been in any horror films, although some of my performances have been horrifying. <laughs> that's a totally different thing. Hmm. Well, I also like the, the sort of the psychological terror things. There's a great movie called James Ladder that Tim Robinson. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Macaulay Culkin, very young in that one. Adrian Lyne, and that is just such a great... To me, that's kind of like what... Uh, and Shyamalan uh, sort of grew out of his uh-huh. sort of weird, deep, like, thinker movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to watch that one again. I, I saw that as a kid. I haven't seen it in years and years, so. It's really 
one of my favorite scare movies. Yeah. Okay. And, and, it's, it's, and it's not scary. It's, it's unraveling this sort of strange mystery that's affecting this guy. Right. Uh, it's horrifying to him. So you're sort of living through his eyes, and it's just intense. Yeah. It had something to do with Vietnam, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Have you seen uh, any of the new Robert Eggers movies? I'm obsessed with them. The Witch and The Lighthouse? No. Oh, dude, you got to see them. They're so good. Hold on. Everybody should be taking notes on my vintage films, and I will do this one. Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) I'm telling you, they're both amazing. Willem Dafoe's in in The Lighthouse. I'm always looking for, uh, you know, stuff that's more recent because I don't seek them out as much anymore because... It's kind of like a, a funny day, but I didn't really get into the kind of almost like super murder snuff film stuff. Right. Like uh, Saw. Hostile. You know? Yeah. Well, like, here, here's like the where thing. Where it's just someone waiting to be murdered. And right, right. And then close up while they're yeah. always drilled. Yeah. No, it's like, you know, that's, well, that's a totally different art form almost. Yeah, almost yeah. It's almost a own genre. Well, we talk about this all the time on the podcast. There's really been kind of a horror renaissance in the last few years. There's been a lot of phenomenal horror movies. There's The Lighthouse, The Witch, Midsommar, uh, Hereditary. Uh, what else has come out? Us. Us. Yeah. The Jordan. Have you seen the Jordan Peele movies, Brad? No, I, I saw Get Out, but I haven't seen Us. I like Us better. It Follows oh, yeah. oh, is also really, yeah, really follows. good one. Yeah. Yeah. It Follows is another really good one. I'm going to send you a list of these after we do the interview. Excellent. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm always looking for some good scares that, uh, you know, bring me back to the days of stuff that really scared the hell out of me. Absolutely. No, there's the been some phenomenal movies lately. Jordan uh, Peterson is also doing a Candyman reboot, which looks amazing. There's a trailer up for that. Yeah, I think it has some oh, of the wow, same yeah. actors and actresses as well. So I yeah. think it, it's not necessarily a reboot as it kind, seems kind like it's sequel. just a, re- a retelling of... Uh, the same sequence of events happening later. Right, right. Which is also oh, terrifying. Candyman. Yeah. Was it Tommy Tolles? Is that his name? Uh, Tony Todd. Tony Todd. Yeah. Yeah, he was in one of my favorite schlock uh, movies, Day of the Dead, the one that happens in the, the mall. The oh. zombie movie in the mall, one of George Romero's. And that's a, that's a guilty pleasure. It, it's sort of a, the original great, you know, all that uh, Walking Dead is. The George the, Romero one? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I kind of thought that was a masterpiece, like not in an yeah. ironic way. Like I thought that I, one. I loved it, and it was it was one of those movies that was terrifying. Yet the entire scare of it happened in basically a broad, well right. lit, yeah. daytime shopping mall, which mm-hmm. is not easy to do. Right, right. Yeah, horror films rely on darkness and yeah. surprise, the and unknown. Yeah, right. they took that away, yeah. which is really difficult to do. Uh huh. Uh huh. It actually filmed in Pennsylvania as well, not too far from here. Um, before we go, Brad, would you mind if Carly, who is a massive improv nerd, loves whose lines in any way, could she ask you a few improv-related questions? Absolutely, no problem. Okay. Well, we wanted you to say yes and, uh-huh, but go ahead. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, actually, you asked it as a as a as a no. You actually you said, uh, "Would I mind?" So if I said yes. And I'm not going to answer any questions. <laughs> oh, that would have no. been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, I want to say hello again because I actually had the absolute privilege of seeing you on one of your previous tours with Colin Macri. 
Uh, mm-hmm. You came around uh, Baltimore uh, previously, and I was able to go and see it. And I still, to this day, think back on you were playing a game where you and Colin started talking about fish puns, and I thought that there was an end in sight, and there was never an end in sight, and it went on for an amazingly impressive amount of time. I was just in awe from start to finish, and I it stuck with me. I am a huge fan of the work that you do, and I, in particular, really am fascinated with, with your use of physical comedy, and... Do you have any suggestions for someone who's new to improv and who maybe doesn't really know what to do with their body or their voice? Um, any suggestions for somebody just starting out? For doing physical comedy, I, I think uh, when you clearly establish sort of the environment that you're doing the improv in, then the physical comedy will be there more readily for you because you clearly create, say, a laboratory or a garage that you're working in, and you see where the, the, the lift is for the car and where the tools are, then you start going around and you can find comedy in the physical stuff because you, you're envisioning a, a, a well-thought-out room as opposed to you're just sort of standing on stage, you're talking about being in a garage, but you're not going to any of the environment where, so you're limiting yourself physically because you can't create physical comedy unless you're doing physical things. So it's kind of, you know, if you go into a fantasy thing, if you're down in a dungeon and you're running down spiral staircases and all that stuff, you're carrying a torch. All these new things can happen, like something accidentally catches fire with a torch, whereas if you just, uh, generically, two clever people just standing on stage with your hands on your hips, uh, which is the way most improvisers kind of do, because you're so in your brain thinking of what to say (laughs) that you kind of atrophy physically, so... That's, that's a key uh, to, to opening up the, the many doors that lie uh, unused uh, in the physical realm. Well, that's amazing. Thank you. What a really, uh, great way to help people who might be new at this start to build the world around them yeah. and start to look outside of themselves at, towards the environment that they're creating and the environment that they're building with their teammate on stage. Thank you. Yeah, there was a, there was a good uh, improv workshop game that I used to do when I was with a group called Theater Sport. Mm-hmm. And one person would enter the room and set up something in the environment. Like they would take uh, bread out of the refrigerator and put two slices into a toaster and push the button down, and then they would leave the stage. Then someone else would come in and do something else to add to the environment, possibly put things into a blender, and uh, but they would also have to sort of acknowledge and use the previous things as well. So mm-hmm. like by the you know fourth person, that person comes in and runs in because the toaster is on fire and they use the blender to pour it out and now there's an electrical problem and you, you, so you get you, it's sort of this dominoes effect where you keep mm-hmm. holding on to the history that's been set up before you by all the other people. Yeah. Someone feeds the dog. So now there's a dog on the floor and someone might trip over it, etc. World building. That's lovely. That's lovely. Now, here in Baltimore, I work with the Baltimore Improv Group here, and they focus uh, mainly on long-form improv. Now, for the people that are listening that don't know the difference, short-form improv uh, is more structured, has more rules, and it has more small-time games mm-hmm. that uh, can really focus on different skills for the improvisers playing them. Long-form improv creates more of a storyline. Mm. It's genuinely longer. Right. And 
and, Makes sense. And it uh, weaves more of the skills, depending on the skill of the improviser performing, uh, to create a larger storyline and a broader uh, tale. Right. Um, have you had a lot of experience or any experience with long form, Brad? Uh, yes. You know, long form is the natural evolution of improvisers. That after you know years of doing the sound effects game, you sort of want to graduate to things that are possibly a little more challenging. So a lot of the groups that I've worked with over the years, you know, we did Heralds with all the Second City alumni in L.A. for mm-hmm. a long time. And with theater sports in L.A., we used to do a show called Triple Play. And we would choose three styles uh, of the show. And so we would do, let's say, an American musical okay. and a Shakespeare and then maybe uh, another theatrical style, uh, like Pinter or some playwright. And we would do act one of each one of them, and then we would do act two of each one of them, and then act three. So you had to keep all three stories in mind, and there are different characters mm. and all the relationships and oh, the plot that sounds that fun to watch. That does sound jump fun. And back to them, and so you, we would end each act with the, the, the musical. So we would do Shakespeare, then Pinter, uh, or like nice. Jane Austen, and then we would do uh, the musical, and then Act Two would be the, the middle wow. part of the plot for all three of those, and then on to the, the finale. And it was really fun, and, and your your brain really had to work. You had to not only pay attention, but you had to remember the three plot lines, all the all the characters, and, and mm. yes. So that's that was a fun thing. That was also fun because you got you got to sort of change the channel a little bit instead of do like a ninety minute. Right. Uh, long form Shakespeare only, so it gave yeah. everybody a little bit of wow. chance to sort of have one story that might be yeah, a little more reading. slow building, and then one that might have some more goofiness. Plus, then you had something with music, so it was a wow. really great structure. Wow, that sounds amazing. I, I have one more question, if you're willing to answer this one. Yes, and let's continue. Yes, and <laughs> so uh, for our listeners that have never done improv before, they may think that improvisation is for only people that are automatically funny or right. already funny. Yeah. For someone who's never done improvise, improvisation before, what are some of the skills that you would say our improv helps with? Some of the average everyday things that they do that they might not know they're already doing. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've always described improv as just the funny version of how your brain works every day. You know, every conversation that you have in life is improvised. Uh, unless you've written down questions and you don't <laughs> add anything to the interview. Right. Um, you know, or when you drive, you're improvising, you have to hit the brakes and turn and get to the obstacles that are coming at you. And you don't know, you know, where you're going, but the, the journey there, even if you take the same route every day, is still improvised. Sure. So it, that, that process is what your brain is doing your entire life. The improvised version, comedy version is just a heightened way where you're trying to access things to come up with funny solutions and problems uh, as a performance piece. But really, you're not tapping into some magical thing that everyone's brain isn't already equipped to do. Yeah. You know what I always thought would be cool, if I may throw this out there? Mm -hmm. Twilight Zone Improv. Twilight Zone Improv. Yeah, like a Twilight Zone show improvised. So no the, one seems I, to like my idea. Well, I just I I like the idea. I just want more depth to the description. Well, because what do, part of it is 
story, which part of it is game. You get a suggestion, and then you, you get one person to come out and do like a for your consideration, and they do a little monologue on the suggestion, and then you do a little three-act Twilight Zone episode where it's it's just a straight-up episode that's improvised, and you have the beginning and the middle and the end, and you have the twist at the end, and you have to come up with all of it. I like it. Yeah. That would totally work. It, it, the, uh, the difficulty is always in keeping the audience's uh, attention uh, throughout a story. And sure. it, it, you know, it, it is on the performers to keep the story uh, moving and changing and entertaining enough. Because if you're just doing creepy but not funny, mm-hmm. uh, then you've told, you've told a really long ghost story right, uh, right. for a paying audience. And uh, see, it, it, that, that's the one problem with long-form improv is that you still sort of owe the audience uh, not just a, a, a well-told story, mm. but one that is giving them uh, fun. So there are certain genres that are difficult to stay true to while you're also trying to make it funny, if that makes sense. Right, right. It makes sense. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, all right, Brad. Well, thank you so much for coming by the confessional. Uh, once again, Colin and Brad will be at the uh, Modell Lyric in Baltimore on April 3rd, 8 p.m. Tickets are available at Ticketmaster. And Carly, thank you so much for co-hosting today. My, my absolute pleasure. I'm a huge fan of Brad, and I, I'm thrilled that I get to speak to you. Absolutely. Thank you once again, Brad, for doing the interview. We will see you in Baltimore. It was so fun, and uh, send me that list of uh, movies you recommend. I absolutely will. Thank you so much, man. A pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Of course. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. Bye. Bye.